Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Patreon members, and welcome to, uh, I think this is episode five of the Patreon-exclusive podcast of uh, Small Town Secrets, also known as uh, STS Backroads, and tonight is going to be just as much fun, if not more insane and kooky as the main episode was last week. So, keep it in fashion that I've been doing for the last couple few episodes of piggybacking this episode as an extension to the main show, I had decided to try and find a few more time travel stories. And since Backroads is a little bit more of a bend the rules type of show, I didn't really concern myself with where where the uh, the stories came from. Um, one does come from a small town in Nebraska, and the other one is uh, essentially a coast-to-coast episode, and we never really get the information from where he was calling from, even though the time traveler did say he was from Montana, a small town in Montana. So I guess they could still fit. But we're going to talk about two stories tonight. We're going to talk about Stephen Gibbs and his uh, 
hyperdimensional resonator, a uh, time machine. Well, the, trust me, we'll be chewing on this in a little bit. And the uh, very interesting, very fun, albeit I think more a rabbit holy than the John Titor story, the story of a man who calls himself Single Seven. Uh, which I I didn't really know a whole lot about the single seven story. I knew enough that like I was like, okay, it's a John Titor esque story. It has some similarities, but it's not the same at all. Uh, I knew it was like a caller that had called into Art Bell, and he was like you know, on coast to coast, and he was like the guest for the first hour or whatever, and. Uh, I knew that there was like an hour-long interview with him, so I was like, okay, there's enough here to be able to make a segment for Backroads. But man, when I started digging into it, we're, I mean, it is, we're talking not only time travel, we're talking aliens, we're talking dimensions, we're talking global warming, we're talking a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't even foresee. So I think this is going to be a very juicy sink-your-teeth-into episode of just crazy kookiness and we will get into all of it but um first of all i just want to thank everyone for listening for uh chipping in with the patreon and supporting the show that allows me you know it allows me to do all this uh crazy stuff so that you can listen to it and uh i spent all week well maybe not all week like you know no all week i spent many hours on this completely rearranging uh the office space I'll probably get more into it on the main show. Either that or you're just going to hear me brag about it twice because I'm very happy with the outcome. So, as a lot of you know, I live in a household with other people. And um, I had been using... So, our office has doesn't really have a desk. It has what it has is a kitchen countertop that goes around two of the walls. One short, one small, short wall and one long wall. And then there's like a door behind me and then a wall that doesn't have any type of desk but it's just a countertop that doesn't have any cabinets underneath it we just prop it up with the legs to make this kind of huge wraparound l-shaped desk and i've been using since i since i moved here like 30 percent of the desk um but it, it, it came to everyone's kind of attention that like fred's the only one that's ever in the office like yeah we keep some paperwork in there we keep some bills in there whatever but like he's the only one that uses the space so I asked, like, hey, can I take the space over and use 70% and the other 30% can be for, you know, all the paperwork and the printer and stuff like that. And uh, it all worked out. So now I have a lot more space. Uh, I think it sounds better. Um, like the acoustics are a little bit different. There's a little more reverb and I think it just sounds more fuller. I was able to put in some nice ambient lighting uh, that I can change. So... I can set the mood if I'm talking about aliens. I can make it green. If I'm talking about time travel, I can make it, I don't know, blue, you know, change it up. Uh, I just, I like it. Everything kind of came together. I've posted some pictures online, but I'm really happy with this space. And this is the first episode that I'm using this space in. So you guys get to hear, hear it first. And uh, let me know how it sounds. I don't think it's going to sound too terribly different. Uh, it might, maybe a little bit. I might actually be louder. I don't know, but I might have to tweak some stuff over the coming weeks, but I'm very happy with this, and I won't bore you with uh, my office adventure any longer, at least right now. Trust me, I will probably talk about it again on the main show. But 
let's talk about these wacky uh, time machines and these wacky time travelers. We're going to start with Stephen Gibbs and his HDR, his hyperdimensional resonator. 20 years before John Titer, another man had not only been contacted by a time traveler, in quotes, I'll get to that in a second, but was instructed on how to make his own time device. This man's name was Stephen Gibbs. In 1981, Gibbs, a humble farmer out of Clearwater, Nebraska, claims he was visited by not just any time traveler, but he was visited by himself from another dimension. He gave himself instructions on how to build a device called the Sonic Resonator. I don't know why it was called the Sonic Resonator, because it doesn't have anything to do with sound, but it was called the Sonic Resonator. Later, in 1985, Gibbs retooled his Sonic Resonator and created a much more powerful version called the Hyperdimensional Resonator, which is a better name and actually kind of makes sense with what it supposedly does. Uh, or the HDR for short. I'm going to call it the HDR from here on out. The HDR upgraded several parts, such as a higher gauge wire to the electromagnet, yes, the electromagnet, uh, as well as a rubbing plate and a witness well. What is a rubbing plate and what is a witness well, you may ask? I'll explain later. Uh, it was after perfecting the HDR that Gibbs began selling the units to other would-be time travelers. There was a catch to using Gibbs' HDR device. Uh, it wouldn't work for you unless you had quote-unquote, faith in God. In other words, the coils inside the HDR, which apparently just look like uh, phone cords, old curly phone cords, so, mm-hmm, uh, picked up and amplified white light energy. News of the HDR took off in 1989 when author Patricia Ress met Stephen Gibbs and experienced the HDR for herself. Gibbs demonstrated his device in her presence, and soon after turning on the machine, the room began to fill with fog, and sparks began to jump from a chandelier on the ceiling. Nothing of a time-traveling nature happened, but when Patricia got home, one of her favorite movies was on TV, the western entitled Shame. She knew this movie inside and out, and could quote almost the whole thing. So it's kind of like me and the uh, Bolivia episode of Top Gear, which for some reason I love and can probably quote the entire episode. Uh, I won't do it here, but I could do it. Are those zips? Well, they all are outdoor trousers. Sorry, sorry, I won't, I won't go on anymore. But this showing of Shane was different. Lines that she knew by heart were no longer there. Some of them were altered or even spoken by uh, other people, different characters. She states that she can't even bear to watch the movie anymore. Reese would go on to write two books on Gibbs. The first was called Stranger Than Fiction, The True Time Travel Adventures of Stephen L. Gibbs, The Rain Man of Time Travel. Uh, as you might as well know, they are one of those paranormal books that have very long titles. Uh, the second book was called Dangerous Information, The Further Time Travel Experiments Slash Studies 
of Stephen L. Gibbs. In 1997, Gibbs went on Coast to Coast to talk with Art Bell about his device. He had discussed more of the about the inner workings of the machine. He stated that you had to have good intentions, or the machine would not work. For example, you couldn't go back and rob a bank. Uh, this is a quote here. Since the device, the way I believe, is tuned into the creator, only the people who have pure intentions can use the device. It takes your soul energy and steps it up through the diode circuits. So basically, you had to be a good person. Uh, you had to have a lot of white light energy, a lot of a nice high vibration to be able to uh, use his device. According to people who have used the device, it seems to be more of a form of astral time travel than physical. Kind of astral projecting yourself through time than actually going somewhere. This may be the reason that if you are able to bring an object back, it seems to dissipate when you return, as stated by Patricia Ress. So I guess she's heard of people saying, hey, I've gone there, I brought stuff back, and then when I get back, it just kind of evaporates, you know? So maybe if you are astral projecting hard enough, you can grab something and bring it back, or maybe you're bringing back kind of a, an astral projection of it as well, and it just can't stay in the physical realm. You must also practice with the device and build up a resonance with it. It also seems to work better if you use it in places of a high energy or frequency. Users of the HDR have reported everything from astral travel to uh, travel to alternate dimensions uh, to being dumped aboard UFOs and of course time travel. Others have experienced total bumpkiss. Some people after having spent some time with the machine have noticed small changes in their surroundings as well as a feeling uh, things are just a little off. So it seems to, some people just seem to kind of get this feeling that like, I'm not in time. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I might, when we get a little deeper into the story, I might come back to that a little bit. Uh, blogger Indiana Kairos ordered an HDR and wrote about his experience. He said he used the machine about 10 times and only had one small experience that he could attribute to the machine. One night after his session with the HDR, he had a very vivid dream, where he seemed to be in an alternate version of the town that he lived in in 2003. His experience happened in 2008. The area around him was filled with hills that had an almost uh, cartoon-like look to them. While he stood in this alternate dimension, an old teacher from his high school drove up to him and said something along the lines of, uh, you figured it out, get in. The two then drove to a large skyscraper and proceeded to climb up it. About halfway up the skyscraper, remember this is a dream, uh, the skyscraper, they were surrounded by black cars and uh, MIBs surrounded the building. He uh, fought some of them off and made his escape into the hills before the blinding sun got into his eyes and he woke up. Indiana Caros put the time machine up in his garage for a while and eventually sold it. Researcher, writer, and time travel chronicler Jason Offit and some colleagues at a college at which he used to teach also got a hold of an HDR through a grant 
Uh, the reason they were able to do this was he taught a class called Paranormal Journalism. And he basically taught, it was basically a class to be like, here's how to report on these things and do it in a serious and professional manner. Uh, while uh, some of the other teachers wanted to break it down and write a paper on it. So that's how they justified buying the machine with a grant for, uh, for the school. However, try as he might, Jason wasn't able to find his frequency. And as a result, uh, he didn't have a result, really. He just didn't spend enough time with it, and he got any of his impatient. Um, but when I going back to earlier when I talked about people just feeling like they are a little off, like they aren't in the right time, he had trouble ordering the machine. Whenever he tried to contact Gibbs, the guy wouldn't, you know, wouldn't return his phone calls, wouldn't return his emails. It was almost like he knew that maybe Jason, like Jason had written some books already and was kind of in the paranormal circuit. Maybe he just didn't think that Jason was going to be able to use the machine for whatever reason. But he had a friend who was able to get it without any trouble whatsoever. And uh, he met him at like a strip mall somewhere and they handed it off like in a kind of clandestine uh, delivery there. But that was it. He just couldn't get anything to do. But his friend who had bought the machine kind of for him to give to them uh, said that he had used it a couple of times and he had that feeling of waking up after like a nap and just feeling like I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Like everything just feels like, you know, it doesn't feel right. So Jason didn't have like a great on any experience with the machine, but he did know some people who did. So how does this thing work? How do you operate this thing? Here you go. Here's here's everything I can kind of cobble together from uh, from Jason's post and from Indiana Curtis's post of how this thing might have worked. First, and it's very reminiscent of the time machine in uh, Napoleon Dynamite, by the way. Jason often points that out, and that was something I was thinking of while looking through all this. So first you have to place a diode on your head that will shoot electricity into your head. Then you must place the large electromagnet between your legs. Uh, this is in order to activate your stomach chakra. You must then fill the witness well with a crystal and some of your DNA, so like a hair, sweat, some spit, but you must not use blood. If you use blood, you'll get demons. Then you turn the machine on and you begin to talk to it. Uh, I think this is if you're trying to really astral project yourself back in time. So you talk to the machine, you give it your intention, and you tell it where you want to go, um, and the machine picks up on these thoughts. And while you are talking to it, you must rub the rubbing plate, like with your, you know, one finger, and then with your other hand, you must start adjusting the two, there's two knobs on the machine that go to 10. And you must just kind of start playing and adjusting these knobs as you uh, rub the rubbing plate. And eventually, if all goes well, you will stick, you will get stuck, as they say. And what this means is your finger will stop. It will stick to the rubbing plate like metal to a magnet. This, this then means that the machine is programmed. Then after that, you must go and meditate or at the very least kind of lie down 
and relax, and then the effects hopefully will take hold. You will, you know, kind of go into a meditative state, I'm assuming, and have either a crazy vivid dream about where you want to go, or maybe even astral project to where you uh, wanted to go in the first place. And how much does all this cost, you might ask? Well, I, I, I follow, Jason and I follow each other on Twitter, so I shot him a DM, and I just asked, like, hey, this has always bugged me, because I've known about this thing for years. Like, how much does this thing cost? He told me that he got a base model, nothing special. He didn't get the extra crit. He didn't get the deluxe model. He didn't get the extra crystals that came with it and all this other stuff. Uh, and he bought it for $350 seven years ago. It was $350. So even with, like, inflation, I bet it's still under a grand. I mean, time travel for under a grand? Not too bad, actually. And that's really, I mean, that's the story of the HDR and Stephen Gibbs. Um, I've put links in the show notes. You can read Jason's uh, post about it. The Indiana Kairos post is in there. I've also linked to Stephen Gibbs' uh, amazing websites, which look like uh, if... If, if you are as old as I am, I'm 37, by the way. If you were as old as I am and you were in school when the internet was just kind of becoming a thing and they just one day in computer class handed you a a bunch of paper with just HTML codes on it and just, like, played around with HTML for, like, a week. I remember that blew my mind when it was like, what, you can just open up Notepad and type all these things in and you can make a web page? But you can make, like, a really rudimentary web page? That is what you are in store for if you visit Stephen Gibbs' webpage. Um, not like an Angel Fire site, not like a GeoCities site. Like, this is white background, blocks of color, you know, uh, stock images with the huge text of the copyright underneath it. Like, there's literally, like, a woman in the corner holding a clock, and then underneath it, it says, like, copyright by blah, 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 2001 woman holding clock you know like it's it's a rudimentary site but the information is there you can email him you can contact him and for $350 at least buy your own time machine uh I'm not going to do it uh, unless I get a bunch of Patreon members you know, Patreon pledges then maybe maybe I'll buy one see what happens but you can buy one and then you can tell me what happens but let's move on from uh time machines that you can buy out of Nebraska to the very rabbit holy uh, story of Single Seven. As I mentioned earlier, Art Bell had his fair share of time travelers on the show. John Tider and Mike Madman Markham, just to name a couple. Some were more believable than others. One of them was a man who called in the show on the night of July 30th, 1998. So this is before all the giant tighter stuff. Like the faxes might have come in, but this is before it all blew up. He called himself Single Seven. It said his ne- his actual name was Jonathan. Single Seven, which he said was his rank, by the way, had a story to tell. One even more wild than John Titer, if you can believe that. He claimed to be from the year 2063, and he had broken away from his Travt Group. Uh, which is short for Travel Time Group. And he was now being tracked down by them. He was uh, on a team that had been sent back in time to tamper 
with our weather. However, his job was much different. Single 7 was what he called a paleo-ag tech, a paleo-agriculture technician. It was his job to gather seeds from various grains, fruits, and vegetables that could survive a warmer climate. He was then supposed to take those samples back to 2063 so they could genetically modify other plants to also survive a warmer climate. But why was the climate so much higher in the future? Single 7 explained that the team that was sent back to control the weather was purposely warming the climate very gradually over thousands of years. They did this by going to different periods in time and deploying satellites to blast into more tectonic areas to make the Earth, uh, to create more volcanization inside the Earth, thus heating up the Earth. The reason for this lunacy was to combat an alien species that existed in the fourth dimension. We call them the Greys. But that name changed sometime in the future to the Mem, M-E-M. Their existence was proven to the world when we interrupted the transmission from them and uh, the strange sound that came through on the other end sounded like Mem, sounded like M-E-M, sounded like that name. So they gave them the name Mem. The Mem exist, like I said, in the fourth dimension, which means they exist in a world where all time is happening at the same time. The Mem cannot control this, so they pop up in different places and different times at will with like no control over what's going to happen. They want to come in and take over our dimension where time is linear so they can solve that problem. They've been trying for a very long time, uh, but can't stay too long in our dimension. Apparently, it's very cold and dark in the fourth dimension. So in order to come over here, one of the things they need to do is cool our world down so that if they do get a grasp in our dimension, they can be a comfortable one to stay here. Therefore, the decision was made to warm the Earth to a higher temperature an average of 15 degrees higher to keep the MIMS away. So I'm going to reiterate, the reason that we have, this is what he says, the reason that we have global warming isn't because of us, it's because time travelers from the future are slowly heating up the earth so that in the future they can fight off an alien race that likes it cold. Now, of course, this global warming would wreak havoc on people, us, in the past. You know, the ice caps would melt, rising tides, uh, storms, all that stuff. But the people in the future, they simply don't care. To them, we're all dead and gone anyway. Drastic times call for drastic measures. However, Jonathan doesn't feel that way came to our time to study the plant life around Mount St. Helens. And while he was here, he became acquainted with the people around that area, and his views changed on the mission at hand. In fact, it was the tsunami that hit Papua New Guinea, which did occur on July 17th of 1998, that was the last straw. He had heard about Coast to Coast from the people he knew around Mount St. Helens, and decided call in 
to warn us of what was going on and even and even telling us how to track down the satellites so we could take them down. So he kind of believes like he's like we could just fight these aliens if we wanted to, but to them and the advent of time travel which uh, we stole from the aliens, at least some of it. Uh, we could, we could. This was the easiest option. So everyone just said, "This is what we're going to do." Screw trying to fight them. This is just an easier thing to do. Now that we have this technology in our hands. During his time on Coast to Coast, he made a couple of interesting points to me. Uh, when asked about Y2K, remember this happened in 1998. So Y2K was like boiling at this point. He said he didn't know of it directly. But he does remember hearing about a time at the turn of the century when a panic and a depression set in because of something bad that was going to happen to computers. But the panic and the fear were unfounded because nothing was going to happen, which indeed did happen. Um, it didn't happen because there were thousands of people working behind the scenes to stop it, but in the end, those fears were unfounded. We avoided Y2K. He also, much like Titer, said that we use a lot more acronyms in the future. Uh, so, you know, Titer talked about how we're all on the internet now, so we talk really fast to, you know, move, you know, to type really fast, so we shorten words. We've made acronyms. But I think he's also referring to very similarly here. Uh, and I've linked a YouTube video, which is just blank space, but it's just audio, of the hour-long interview with him. So you guys can all go and listen to that, and you can listen to the people that call in. There's a couple of interesting calls, including someone that claims to be a detective from the future that's been trying to track him down. You know, just good old Art Bell coast-to-coast -coast madness. Unlike John Titer and Mike Markham and Stephen Gibbs, he, uh, Single 7 didn't get into how his time device worked too much. He didn't go into great detail. He just said that it bombarded you with tachyon plasma, and you could travel through time like that. That's about all he said on the matter. I kind of wish they would have pressed him for more bits about that. The interview lasted for a little over an hour, and then after that, Single 7 was gone. But it would not be the last time we would hear that name. Later that year, on October 13th, Art Bell suddenly announced his departure from coast to coast saying nothing other that his family was in danger and had been threatened. Soon after that, a story started to spread that he had received a letter from Single Seven telling him something was going to happen to his wife and him. He would survive, his wife would not. This, however, was not the case. What had actually happened was that he had been accused of covering up some sort of crime from a, a another radio station, like a shortwave radio station near him. They had even gotten the FBI involved. Art quickly took legal action and was cleared of any wrongdoing, but he wanted to be off the air so he could handle the matter privately. He returned to Coast to Coast on the 28th of October of that same year. So after that, uh, Single Seven, a.k.a. Jonathan, became just another episode Another story in the massive catalog of Coast to Coast. And there you have it, some just more wacky, wacky tales of time travel. I don't know how much more time travel we're going to be able to do on this show, but who knows? 
Maybe someone will come in, you know, maybe we'll get, maybe, maybe I'll get my own single seven, uh, like call in or interview from someone claiming to be a time travel traveler. That would be pretty cool. One thing I did want to mention, and I forgot to mention it about the, the HDR about Steven Gibbs machine. If you go to his website, he has three videos, uh, WMVs mind you. So if you want to watch them and you don't have windows or windows media player, Grab VLC because that thing will play anything. Of uh, of the field that is generated by his machines, uh, where he puts a a watch up to the electromagnet right by the electromagnet, and then goes and then turns on the machine and go and then he goes look look at the hands move around much quicker than they would in normal time, but like that's not how watches work. And like all vi- all three videos are the same. He's just usually he's just literally using different watches, slightly different watches. They're all probably quartz driven, but they're all like you know you have to wind them. They're not digital watches; they're clock faces, and you have to wind them up. But I'm going to assume that they're quartz and probably have a battery, but you know, or maybe you know whatever. But um, that like I said, that's not how watches work. Like just if you are somehow making time go faster, a watch doesn't know that time is going faster. Because time does not tell the watch what to do. The mechanisms inside the watch tell the watch what to do. So I don't know if that's like a camera trick or... uh, Obviously you can tell I'm very skeptical of his uh, device. I don't know if that's like a camera trick or if the the electromagnet is doing something to the watch. Like if it's like a quartz watch and uh, maybe that's screwing with it and pulling the arms around. I don't know. But there, you can watch those videos and see what you make of it. Literally, the last one's like three seconds long. But I think that if his device does anything, it would be very, very interesting to try it with things like uh, the Gansfeld experiment, for example, where you put ping pong balls over your eyes and pump white noise into your ears and then shine a bright red light on you so that you kind of sensory deprive yourself a little bit and uh you can start getting weird visions and hallucinations that way especially if you have a second person there kind of feeding you an intention or if you set up an intention yourself i've been kind of messing with it a little bit they do in hellier i think at the end of season one but i bet i would i would love to like maybe get one of those boxes and experiment with it in other ways uh but i don't know maybe maybe that's not what it's intended for and i don't have enough white light energy to make it work. Who knows? Because I'm not going to blow 350 on it unless it's going to work. But I just want to get off that little diatribe. Uh, all the links, everything's in the show notes. You can go check out that website yourself. Buy your own time machine. Let me know what happens. Uh, sacrifice yourself for the show. And uh, that's it for this episode. Um, Next week on the main show, I'm going to be talking about some kind of, uh, not natural disasters, but kind of disasters of man. Uh, we're going to talk about a Love Canal, which is a suburb, was a suburb of Niagara Falls, which was going to be a canal that was going to be, that was going to lead to like this big resort and stuff. Uh, didn't happen. So the guy sold it to a chemical company who dumped a bunch of chemicals on it. And then when they moved out of town, they just filled it up with dirt. And uh, then they, and then everyone decided to build a school and a small suburb on top of it. So you can see where that's going to go. And then we're going to talk about, I'm going to butcher the word, I think it's Lake Plenier, I believe. I'll have to figure out how to say it for the actual episode. But uh, it's a lake in Louisiana 
where there was a salt mine underneath it. And uh, for some reason they were drilling and they didn't know the salt mine went underneath this huge lake and they drilled into the salt mine and it just started sucking the lake into the salt mine. And I've, I that that story just astounds me and captures my imagination. So we're going to be talking about those two topics on the next episode of the main show. So I hope everyone will join me there. Once again, thank you for joining the Patreon. Uh, if you know anyone out there that would that you think would also be interested in the show and also be interested in jumping on Patreon, let them know. Let's build a little family here and we can do more stuff. I want to start doing like polls on topics and things like that. Uh, do more stuff with the Facebook group. Like I said, I'm going to be doing more video stuff that you guys are going to see, more experimenting with uh, paranormal investigation, you know, all that stuff. And I'm going to make sure everyone on Patreon gets it first before I put it on YouTube or do whatever else with it. You guys are all going to get first crack at it. So thank you, and uh, I will talk to everyone in a week on the main show. Uh, have a good weekend, everyone, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon.
Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 